Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez and we have Moran joining the show today. What's going on, Moran? How are you doing? Good. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me again. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Glad to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time to, to come back on and share some of your thoughts. Um, right after the Kings won a thriller in Phoenix, the beginning of a road trip, we got a Harrison Barnes game winner. Um, and I think that um, rather than just talking about that game specifically, obviously we'll get to portions of it throughout the parts of the conversation today. But um, I, I want to talk about Harrison Barnes in general. You know, obviously he did hit that game winner that uh, he's played phenomenal this year. I don't know that I'd count like that shot necessarily as like great play by him. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was obviously awesome to see in a great moment, um, you know, kind of brings you back to the Cleveland game winner from last year that was maybe a little bit more dramatic, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was the only game this season of the four that Sacramento has played that Harrison Barnes was not the leading scorer. Uh, Buddy Heald had a big third quarter in that one and was kind of the reason that Sacramento didn't really uh, lose, uh, lose the margin against Phoenix there by a significant bit. And yeah, in the first three games, I mean, we saw Harrison Barnes career high again in the opener at Portland with 36 points. He hit six threes in the third quarter of that one, 25 the game after against Utah, 24 against Golden State, and then 22 here against Phoenix. And the real difference has been his total number of field goal attempts um, and just the amount of shots he's getting up. Um, There's been three games this year that have already surpassed his field goal attempt game high from last season. Um, He's shooting at a level that he hasn't since he's come to Sacramento. Luke Walton talked about wanting him to get up eight threes a game, and that's um, definitely something that Harrison Barnes seems comfortable doing. And, he, and he's still kind of doing it within the flow of the offense. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of, of the play of Harrison Barnes? And obviously he's he's been extremely efficient and that'll come back down to earth a little get, a bit. But mm-hmm. does does the uh, how, how do you feel about him having an increased offensive responsibility when it comes to shot attempts? I love it. Um, I think. You know, it's so funny whenever I think about Harrison Barnes, and I think uh, a lot of people, even around the league, see him as like a veteran, right? Because I feel like even the past like five years or so, he's he seemed like like a thirty-five year old in the league just because he just exudes that maturity on the court. Um, you know, but he's he's twenty-nine years old, and so to me, I feel like he's kind of getting to that point, you know, of like reaching his prime. And and I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And I think it's great. Um, yeah. And I agree with, with what Luke Walton said in terms of him looking to shoot the three, because, you know, beyond Buddy right now, we don't really have any consistent three-point makers um, aside from, you know, the blue moon of Terrence Davis once in a while. But um, so for Harrison Barnes to step into that role, I mean, the Kings need it right now. And if he can stay consistent with those attempts and, um, you know, knock knock down, obviously probably not at the efficiency, like you said, that he is now, but but just be consistent in providing those attempts and, and knocking down enough to keep the Kings um, in these tough games. Like, I think it's exactly what they need. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. And yeah, the percentages right now are 51% from the field on 17 and a half attempts a game and 51 and a half percent from three on 8.3 threes a game. Um, yeah, obviously going to come down. But I think the the crazy thing, I mean, like I said, this is a, a level he hasn't attempted since his time going from Golden State to Dallas. And I think he was asked to do a little bit too much in Dallas. I kind of wrote a little bit of a breakdown for the Kings Herald on the difference between um that situation and transition and the one that Barnes is seemingly going through right now. And a lot of it, I mean, I think just if you look at the numbers of the percentage of his field goals made that were assisted over those years compared to now kind of says it all, you know, he was the number one option on that Dallas team with like a 38 or 39 year old Dirk Nowinski alongside him. And then Dennis Smith jr. Was drafted. Um, yeah. 2016, 17, 50.1% of his, field goals made were assisted. Um, that means, you know, half of the time Harrison Barnes was completely creating his own offense in like isolation or a pick and roll. And as much as I love the play of Harrison Barnes, I don't think that's exactly how you want your offense to be ran through uh, on most possessions. 
And then the year after in Dallas, 46.9% of his attempts went down a bit, uh, were assisted. And then uh, did it did move. I did ignore a little bit of the 18, 19 numbers between Dallas and Sacramento um, because they were a, a little bit hard to sort through. And that was the first year that Luca was there. So it was a weird transition for Harrison. But then if you look at his first full season in Sacramento, he goes from 46% of his makes assisted from his last full season in Dallas to his first season in Sacramento, 62% of his field goals made were assisted. Um, and then this uh, past season, 67% is what that number jumps to. And you would think that with Harrison Barnes, yeah, I mean, averaging 26, almost 27 points per game right now, that he would be doing a little bit of creating for himself. You feel him kind of like bailing out the team at times. You saw a couple mid-ranges like early in that Phoenix game. Um, he gets to the basket when he needs to, but it is the highest number since he was playing in Golden State of percentage of his makes that have been assisted 69.4% so far this season through these four games. Um, a lot of it just feels like he has a really high level of confidence and a quick trigger after the catch. Mm -hmm. um, if a player is giving him a little bit too much space, then he's really um, willing to pull it quickly. Do you feel like there's any difference? I know it's hard to tell early on. Um, and for me, it's a little hard to remember what his jumper looked like last year, but does it feel quicker to you in any sort of way like his release like is there I almost wonder if there's something like he's not bringing it down am I just kind of like making this up or do you feel like you notice any difference hmm, that's interesting I didn't notice it when I when I watched the game the, the first four games but thinking I mean maybe I I think he looks a lot more confident um like you said I I'll have to go back and look at the actual shots to see if it, it looks quicker. But I think overall he does look more confident when he has the ball and, and shooting, especially the three. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, when I think of Harrison Barnes, I just, I love his fundamental, just strong game. You know, it, it reminds me similar to Jokic um, in that way. Like Harrison Barnes pulls off like the slowest euros I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow they're still like beautiful and strong and graceful in their own way. It's like not flashy, um, but I, I just love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he can continue shooting from the three like that, and like you said, if it is quicker, that's all the better. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, he's being efficient. He's doing it within the flow of the offense, which I think is, a little bit of an outlier for, for guys that have a breakout season. And I think it was pretty well known or, or said often that last year was Barnes best year of his career. Um, he, he was really efficient from the field and yeah, being able to maintain that sort of level of efficiency and up these attempts. Um, I, I did a little bit of the math on it. And if he kept the same number of attempts, which is 17 and a half field goals per game and 8.3 of those being threes um, and fell back down to his Sacramento averages of 47% from the field and 39% from three, he'd be averaging 20.2 points on the year. Um, I mean, anybody that's averaging 20 points in the NBA is obviously having a phenomenal impact. And especially when you consider a six, eight guy who, you know, I, I've kind of always described as does everything at an above average level. Um, and if that turned into, you know, scoring 20 points, very efficiently I mean that's that's far above uh far above average and yeah the, the defense that's there as well I mean um yeah I mean his value to this team is is almost unexplainable like he since he has come to Sacramento he's led the team in minutes played every year since he's been here um but also we we did kind of see his trade value last offseason or last trade deadline and uh you know it, it's only kind of rumors here and there of what what sort of offers are actually out there but obviously there was a reported interest and I can only imagine that interest like skyrocketing if he's if he's upping his scoring output in the way that we're kind of talking about here and obviously the Kings are in a position where they're they're trying to win games and it doesn't make that much sense to move on from Barnes but I think just when it comes to managing your assets and the value that each one of them hold like Barnes would have this year and then one year left remaining on that contract. And I'm definitely not uh, promoting trading him like I may have in the past. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, his, his value would league wide, even outside of Sacramento would, mm-hmm. would just be through the roof at that point. Yeah. And I think looking at his value for this team right now, like you said, like even when his numbers do tail off and if he can achieve that 20 points per game, like that would be huge for the Kings. Um, and I, I think his most valuable contribution for this season would just lie in his consistency, um, you know, maintaining those attempts and 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 the and that increase in point points per game. That, like I said, that would be huge for the Kings because they're so heavily reliant on production from Darren Fox and Rashawn Holmes. So to spread that out, um, you know, it it would just put them in such a better place. Totally. Would you feel weird about, you know, I think there's this idea um, that a handful of people have of um, and, and totally understandable um, of Tyrese Halliburton being the second guy on this team. Um, do, do you feel like, you know, Barnes taking on a, a larger offensive responsibility would would hinder the development of of Halliburton or or even um, Davion Mitchell or anything like that? Or is that something that you wouldn't really be too concerned about? Right now, I wouldn't be. I think I really like seeing Halliburton create and and get assists. I think his because his court vision is so is so good and he's so good at snaking into lanes and and knowing where everybody is. Um, in terms of him scoring and, and his shot attempts, like that to me right now isn't a huge priority. I would rather see Harrison Barnes take those just because he is much stronger, um, more experienced, and and to me has a better chance of making a lot of those shots. Um, and then from there, you know, with him becoming such a threat, then it opens things up for other people like Halliburton and Mitchell. Um, you know, if, if we have Harrison Barnes out there with say those two, you know, the defense has to focus on him a lot more in terms of being a scoring threat. Um, and, and with that, you know, that just opens things up for other people. So to me, I, don't think that's a bad idea, especially right now, since Halliburton and Mitchell are still, I feel they're both still trying to find, you know, what their sweet spots are in the offense. Um, we've seen some struggles from from both of them so far this season, but I think there's definitely potential for, for this to all eventually come together. <laughs> totally. I'm definitely with you there. I think, yeah, like, um, like, like you're talking about, Barnes definitely does a good job of these shots coming within the flow of the offense. Um, and, and it's not like he, I, I guess his usage is high because he's getting up a large amount of shots, but it's not like he's, you know, taking four or five dribbles each time to, to create mm-hmm. and taking a good portion of the shot clock. So I'm definitely with you there. It's not something I have uh, too much worry about, but I, I could see some people uh, potentially bringing up that conversation and, um, the other guy that's really stood out as a major positive for me so far in these early games, um, and, and it's fitting, I think it's the two guys, Barnes and then Rashawn Holmes, that have been um, consistently impactful throughout the last couple seasons that they spent with the Kings. Um, and Holmes is kind of, in my mind, doing it in the same way. There are some new things, but the same sort of fashion that he did in years prior and specifically last year, like ridiculously efficient um and all of a sudden i don't know about you but i just like end up looking at the at the uh, scorecard and i'm like wow harris or rashawn holmes has 13 and 7 and he hasn't missed a shot and Mm -hmm. i like it's funny because holmes obviously has great energy and you notice him out there but he somehow gets these quiet point totals that end up making a big difference um how, how have you felt about the play from Rashawn so far, he's been a little foul prone here and there, but what have you thought about his impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I've always felt that way about Rashawn too, where I almost feel bad at the end of games sometimes because I look at his line and I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't even realize, you know, he had 12 and 10 and uh, it almost feels like we take him for granted in that way. Um, but so far I, on, on the defensive end, I wrote about it in, I think the first game, um, against Portland, how I, I really liked their adjustment on, on the pick and roll and him coming out really hard on the hedge. Um, and they they did it really well a few times in, in the first half. Um, and then in this last game against Phoenix, it looked like, 
you know, he really got lost there in a lot of a lot of the pick and rolls and the drop coverage against Aiton. Um, so that part was a little confusing. I don't know if it was like a game, a difference in game plan. Um, but I don't know. I just felt like a couple times, even down the stretch of the game, uh, he kind of was just getting caught in no man's land a bit um, on the defensive end. Um, but beyond that, I mean, like you said, he's he's been the same good old Rashawn, just always there to kind of give us those solid numbers that we we really need, even though we don't even realize he's doing it sometimes. Totally. I'll, I'll throw out with no context that he hasn't missed a three all year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, he's done kind of as expected on offense, like like you worded well. And then, yeah, the defense is is interesting to me. You know, I've been somebody that's been, I think, more skeptical than than most of Holmes on the defensive end. Like, I think he's he's capable on that end. I don't I don't think he's a negative by any means. He's been the best option that Sacramento has had for a while um, the last couple seasons. But that's also comparing him to, you know, Hassan Whiteside, Marvin Bagley, Chemezi Metu or um, Willie Cauley Stein. If if they ended up sharing the roster for a little while, I believe they did. Um and now there is this idea of a little bit more centered depth on the roster. Um, you know, we saw Tristan Thompson and Alex Len kind of splitting that backup center role. Um, each game they've kind of alternated and it seems to have been situational. I, I think like most people predicted, um, but it, you kind of felt Len a little bit more when he was out there. I think he kind of has a little bit of a louder play style um if that makes sense like I mean three-point shooting from a seven-footer is going to stand out and he hit two big ones in Phoenix which you know was still to be determined if that's going to be the outlier he he's shown that here and there throughout his career but uh not consistent enough to feel at least for myself to feel comfortable and relying in that um and then Tristan Thompson has like a few more blunders that I think um <laughs> really stand out like when, when there there's a bad play you know once or twice a night that just looks like, oh my God, like, what are we doing here? Um, yeah. and, and then I think there's a lot of deterring shots, but not quite blocking them that, that makes uh, for a quieter impact. Um, but how have you kind of felt about the balance between Len and Thompson in the backup center rotation? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really curious about how it's going to develop as the season goes on. Um, I think it stands out a lot more on offense too, um, the drop off between Holmes and then when either Len or Thompson comes in, just because so much of the offense, you know, kind of gets initiated by Holmes going up to set a pick and then, you know, he's either getting involved off the roll or, um, you know, gets it at the high post and kind of surveys from there. But, and that's not really within, you know, Len or Thompson's game. There's, just Holmes can do so much more on that side. And I think he pairs really well with De'Aaron Fox. Um, so I think the the drop-off is is more apparent because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm i not sure how this is going to play out. I, was, I wanted to ask you what you thought about, you know, if Len or Thompson will kind of get the more permanent backup spot, or do you think it's just going to kind of alternate based on uh, matchups night to night? I mean, at first I, I kind of thought it would be more situational, but I will say like, I, I don't know. I feel like I've kind of been a Thompson defendant, I guess. Um, but mm -hmm. like Len was really good in that game against Phoenix. Um, and it was against a lineup, a team that has multiple perimeter creators that in my mind would do a good job of kind of hunting him. Um, and, and that's a lineup that, I worry about putting Len out there. I think Thompson's like a little bit more mobile. Um, so, I mean, at this point, it's kind of hard for me to not lean towards Len. Um, but I definitely think it's, in, in my mind, something that you still test out um, on a situation-to-situation -situation basis. Like, like against Golden State, right? It's probably really hard to roll Alex Len out there against uh, mm -hmm. a small lineup where I think like even Otto Porter is their backup center for a little while um and, and things like that so I think it's got to kind of be situational um but I I do think that like one of them could end up outperforming the other and 
uh, super small sample size, um, but opponent field goal percentage when defended by each one of these centers at the rim, um, Holmes was clearing away the best with a most significant sample size as well. Eight of 27, uh, most significant. I'm talking about 27 total shots, um, (laughs) 30% from the field. Um, last year on those, on those type of shots, he, um, held opponents to 49%. Alex Len this year, five of 13, uh, 38% from the field last year in 345 total attempts. He was 46%. And, uh, Thompson last year in Boston on 300. I must've accidentally wrote the same number twice. Um, they, uh, Thompson did have a bit lower of a number here as I'm searching. So Len had 45% on 285 attempts last season, and Thompson had 46% on 345 attempts last year um, for their respective teams, Washington and Boston. So um, kind of similar numbers there. And yeah, so far this year, Len is 5 of 13, 38% for opponents, and Thompson is 5 of 7, 71% for opponents. But obviously really small sample sizes there. yeah, I mean, neither one of them is going to have a significant offensive impact, so it's kind of what they're bringing on the defensive end. And right now, Len feels better, but I, I think like Len between the two of them is is the center where sometimes you just can't throw him out there against smaller lineups. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think right now the numbers are trending towards Len. Um, just within the first couple games, I think he's averaging around twenty minutes, and Tristan's at thirteen. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing that both of them can bring is just size, right? Because even in uh, last night at, at Phoenix, like there were a couple of times where it just looked like, you know, Rashawn was got to step out of position. He just got bullied a bit by Aiden just because that dude is huge. Um, so, yeah, I think whichever one it pans out to be, I think that helps a lot. Um did you know that Alex Len can shoot threes? <laughs> Is that a real thing or was that just a good night? I, I don't know if it's a real thing. Like I, I think <laughs> kind of the way that we saw it last night, super rare is like been the most throughout his career. Um, pulling it up here, like 2018, 19, he did shoot 200 of them in Atlanta, I guess. And oh, shot okay. 36%. But aside from that, there's not a year where he shot more than 60 um so i don't know it's like a clear outlet last year you know 25 total attempts i guess he hit Mm -hmm. eight of them but yeah i don't i mean that'd be that'd be awesome because like i'm saying i don't think either one of these guys bring anything on the offensive end but i mean that would be something right that might give him an edge though for sure (laughs) definitely and uh yeah i think what stood out to me really over these games is I thought that the backup center rotation between these two guys um, was a major improvement on last year. And I still think that's the case. Um, But I kind of thought that, you know, maybe, maybe I had been underrating the defensive ability of Holmes. um, But even on that end of the floor, like obviously there's the offensive difference between those guys, but even on defense, like Holmes seems far and away the best option out there out of the three um, outside Mm -hmm. of his foul pro moments, like, um, what you mentioned against Aiton, I think is, is totally notable. And um, Holmes has really upped his rebounding this year at all four games. He's tallied double digit rebounds after averaging like somewhere uh, slightly above eight per game last year and being a little undersized. I mean, the Kings were the worst rebounding team in the league last year. Um, I think they're doing a little bit better job of securing like boxing out. I think the, opposing bigs like Aiton and Gobert are outliers. Those are going to be two of the best rebounding bigs in the league this year. Um, but kind of looking through the box scores, there was a lot of wings and guards that were getting a handful of offensive rebounds, um, which is intriguing and maybe something opposing teams are kind of putting on the game plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like rebounding is still a weak point for the team this year. No, especially after Aiton, I think just had like what 21 points, 21 boards. 21. Yeah. 21 and 21 is disturbing. Um, I, I think actually just from before looking at the numbers um, and realizing that they're still pretty bad at it. I, I actually felt better about it in the first couple games, just watching um, 
it did seem like you said, like there was a more concerted effort to box out. Um, and I felt like just overall, I felt like there were more defensive possessions at least where they like closed out a lot of possessions with a rebound, which is really promising to see because to me, I'm, I'm hoping that that's what they're, you know, working on in practice is they're, they're cultivating those habits of like, all right, guys, you know, these possessions in practice, like when we're working our, on our defense, they don't end until you get a good rebound um, because that's where it starts, right? Is, is doing it in practice so that, you know, once you're in the game, it's, it's just second nature. Cause I think, you know, a lot of times last year, we just, we saw like even times where they maybe played like 15, 20 seconds of really hard defense. And then they just fall asleep once the ball goes up. Um, so I think to me, I've seen a, a sharper focus in terms of closing out possessions. Um, and that, I mean, that may be a reason why, you know, Holmes and Barnes's rebounding numbers are going up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the whole team has been putting a little bit more effort in there. Harrison Barnes has been a really good rebounder as well throughout this season. Um, he's averaging, I want to say, yeah, 10 a game here. And that includes a career high of 15 against Utah. Um, he has two other games this season, the Portland and Phoenix showings, where he managed nine rebounds a game in that one. Um, he seems to have a little bit more effort getting put in on that end of the floor and, and spending a lot more time at the four as well, I think is going to lead to that. Um, but yeah, offensive rebounds, I think are still something that could hurt this Kings team this year. And they have an emphasis of pushing the pace, um, I think a little bit more than in years prior. And obviously they have decent personnel to be doing that. Um, Fox being the primary guy, but I think like, you know, you're, you're running a lot of guards and, and Tyrese Halliburton is a really good passer and decision maker. It kind of simplifies the game for him and some of the the other young guys on this team, Buddy Heald is a really good transition player with uh, kind of trailing threes. So, yeah, I think that's just something that the Kings are going to kind of have to deal, going to have to deal with this year. Um, and yeah, hopefully on, on games that you really need to against, you know, an Aiden Gobert that you can uh, kind of clean up your schemes to, to really take those guys away from those, um, from those strong points that they have. And I, and I think that, I mean, I, I've been really critical of coaching. I think most people have for what I would say good reason. But, like, what do you – where do you stand on how much credit to give coaching for the halftime adjustment for the Kings? You know, like, uh, uh, specifically in that Phoenix game or any other game that you want to point out, but the Phoenix one stands out to me the most of, you know, I, I think that um, Halliburton and a lot of the guys in their postgame conferences talked about um, just being disruptive and a lot of it was an effort issue. Um, but I think there were a little bit of scheme things like you were kind of pointing out of, yeah, keeping more of a body on Aiton um, and making Phoenix play more of a guard heavy game and, and kind of forcing the, the pick and roll initiator to score rather than them swinging the ball around and maybe being able to abuse some of Sacramento's poor defensive rotations that we've seen throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a fine line that is person to person on, you know, was it just the guys needed to pick it up or, or do you think that there were scheme changes or, or how much, how much credit do you give towards the coaching staff for the adjustment that we saw at halftime in that Phoenix game? So I, I think I said this in the Slack last night, I'm, I'm pretty stingy when it comes to credit uh, given to Luke Walton still um so for me I thought it was just effort like you know when they came out in the third and and they were you know getting tipped balls and you know like Tyrese said they were just being disruptive um that to me just looked like okay we're gonna try now because <laughs> you know it was just so different from the first half where it just looked slow and everybody just kind of looked lost and a step behind and it to me in the second half, it looked like they kind of just snapped out of that and decided like, oh shoot, like, you know, we, we got to play some defense actually. So to me, I, I do see what you're saying on, you know, putting a bigger body on Aiton and, and maybe making those adjustments on the pick and roll. Um, but I, overall, I think their success just came down mostly to effort. 
So I, I think for me, I'd have to see more uh, before I give Luke some flowers. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, totally reasonable. I think, yeah, even even a lot of the guys in the postgame conference were talking about just kind of a needed increase in effort saying, yeah, that first half was kind of the, I think they worded it is, I believe it was Halliburton, the worst basketball that they've played all year. Um, and they were down, what, six or eight points to the defending Western Conference champions. And the Suns mm-hmm. had played really bad to start the year. Um, but there's still definitely something to be said there. I mean, it's a, a division um, rival or opponent that that they're going up against there. So, yeah, I mean, either way, I think coming out of these these games uh, two and two when you're playing Portland, Utah, Golden State, and Phoenix, um, some really high caliber offenses and and teams that I think are have a good chance of being cementing themselves in the playoff picture um, even further than the play-in. Maybe maybe Portland or Golden State is a little bit lower. Um, I feel a little bit better about Golden State personally. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Kings, point being, the Kings have a tough competition and strength of schedule in these first few games. And I think we mentioned rebounding a little bit, but the other clear emphasis was was defense this year. Um, and I think I've like, you know, noticed a little bit of different schemes here and there and and the effort level seems to be increased. Like the guys clearly are aware that they were the worst defense in the league last year. And that's where progress needs to come. Um, and yeah, offensive ratings of the teams they played uh, last season in these first four games, uh, Portland finished second, Utah was fourth, Phoenix was seventh, and then Golden State was 20th. But um, I mean, do have the best shooter of all time on their team and added a lot of depth um, do, do you feel any more confident in the defense moving forward this year from 30th rating last year to 24th so far this year? But as I mentioned, against some high caliber offensive opponents, do you feel you feel like you notice some notable progress on that end? I do. I think um, the effort and the focus seems to be getting better. Um like we, you know, we all complained about in the first three games how, you know, they do it for two two quarters and then they kind of get distracted or burnt out or whatever it is in the last two. Um, and then, like I said, they, they dropped the Uno reverse on us and did the opposite in Phoenix. But um, that all being said, I think it is improvement to see them do it for at least two quarters at a time rather than zero from last year, right? So... Um, I, th- I, I am seeing some good things and I think, um, it's going to come down to, you know, the longevity of that focus and, and making sure that you can do it for a whole game. And then especially in the fourth, in the fourth quarter, when, you know, you are playing against these playoff teams, these like really seasoned and, and smart teams that know what they're doing, you can't afford to have, you know, defensive lapses, um, so there are good things and, and there are still definitely a lot of things that need to be cleaned up, I think. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take, like you said, the, the few quarters of good defense. It, it at least feels like a little bit of a moral victory and it compared <laughs> to a, a pretty low starting point and um, yeah, some not, not switching super lazily at very least um, mm-hmm. makes me feel a whole lot better than kind of the, uh, yeah, just saddening feeling that you, you kind of felt was inevitable at times with this team's defense last year. And um, yeah, we, we touched on, you know, I, I think Barnes and and Fox are, or I'm sorry, Barnes and Holmes are the two really key strong points that have been consistent for the Kings team so far this season. Um, yeah, before I mention the two guys that I think some people have concerns about and, and are getting labeled as unperforming, understandably, is there any other guys that stand out to you as like, um, crucial overperformers or or really positive impacts so far in these first four games. Hmm. I guess just a little shout out to Davion Mitchell. You know he's he's been working his butt off on defense on the ball, and um, it's been it's been fun as just as a Kings fan to see it. And I think you know it's having its effect on on the rest of the team. Um, so yeah, I think he deserves a little shout out for that. Totally. I think we had the first game of like him not having some sort of highlight. Like I, I think he was quiet in that Phoenix one for the first time, mm-hmm. um, which 
I mean, certainly says something. Like I, I think that I expected more quiet nights than the loud, impactful 30-minute ones that we got in those first three games. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely good good shout-out to Davion there. Um, absolutely deserved. And then I think Fox is kind of the one um, getting the most criticism so far this year. Um, you know, there is oh, – I'll just throw his numbers out. Compared to 25, 7, and 3.5 and last year um, so far in these four games, he's at 18.5, 7 assists, 3.8 rebounds um, while shooting 37% from the field, uh, 16% from three and uh, 54% from the free throw line. Um, where where do you want to start with, with Fox? Um, I think he's kind of a complicated situation. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I think, you know, everybody's been thrown out that hopefully it's just him adjusting to his body and, and the new weight, um, which I hope is the case. Um, but it's, for me, it's so hard to tell with him just because, you know, he's never been very expressive um, as a player on the court. So it's hard to tell, like, if he's frustrated. Well, it's hard to tell if he's frustrated sometimes, um, just even that. But then, you know, if he's frustrated at himself or, um, you know, just it's it's just really hard to read him and, and where he is mentally. So these struggles, you know, I, it's it kind of seems like it's starting to get to him a little bit, which um, obviously isn't good for the Kings, you know, like in last night's game, it was really odd to me to see that like he wasn't really looking to handle the ball a lot of times when he was on, on the floor, especially in the second half. Um, So, you know, that worries me a little bit just because I hope that's not an indication of like him not feeling confident or what, whatever it is. Um, I think physically, like, he'll be fine. I think, you know, it's four games. It's it's an 82-game season. I think it's going to work itself out. Um, but, but yeah, I, it, I don't know. It's just so hard to tell with him for me, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I was surprised to kind of look at his cleaning the glass numbers and see that um, the percentage of attempts from different parts of the floor have been pretty similar to last season. Um, I, I thought that there was definitely something to him not having uh, attacked the paint in a way that I, I feel like he maybe should have been. Um, I know like in the first half of that Phoenix game, I, I took a look at the shot chart and, and he hadn't um, gotten to the rim yet. And, and obviously that was an emphasis that I think the whole team really uh, focused on going into that second half and an adjustment that they made. But yeah, um, yeah, I think what you said of it's hard hard to tell when he's frustrated is really accurate. Um, and even I mean, I mean, the clear thing this year has been with with free throws, right? Um, most of the guys in the NBA that have uh, been in the top 10, 15 or so of free throw attempts have seen a dip in their numbers outside of the guys that are just ridiculously physically dominant like uh, Giannis. And yeah, I mean, obviously Harden has been kind of the poster child of that, but I think Fox has struggled from that a lot. Um, in, in that game against Golden State, he only had one free throw attempt and throughout all of his appearances last season, he didn't have a single game with less than two free throws. Um, he did only end up with um, four in that game against Utah as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there definitely is some frustration there and I think something to getting used to playing alongside other playmakers. But um, yeah, I know that James Ham and Sean Cunningham, which by the way, just started, I think the name of it is the Kings beat podcast. Um, and if you're not listening to that, then you need to get on it. Uh, just, just started one episode in and those guys do ridiculous, ridiculous work covering the team and have for, from my understanding, as long as anybody else that's in Kings media. So definitely check that out. And James Ham has got a bunch of his own stuff. Um, that he's starting up as well, separate of NBC that he split from recently. So short little tangent there, but definitely got to show love to James Ham and uh, and Sean Cunningham there. So check out their work. Um, but yeah, they they mentioned that Fox was kind of for a moment mentioning that you know a little bit of his kind of shots not falling, and and that scared me a little bit to hear at first. I was and it, and it's hard to tell, you know, that could be something like 
he's telling media just because it's an easy conversation and just be able to move on and deal with whatever he thinks the actual issue is himself. But yeah, I don't know when I was looking today and saw most of his uh, percentage of shot attempts are pretty similar to last year. Like I think there is something to kind of shots just not going down, you know, like he's not a good three point shooter, um, but 32% on, on five and a half attempts a night last season is still more than capable and respectable. And certainly, you know, six per game this year and only having hit of the 24 total four for 16% is something that is just going to, that that'll increase for Fox. And I don't think he's getting like the catch and shoot attempts um, that, that he was so much better at than the off the dribble um, threes from last season. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I mean, it's, it's very hard to tell. And I don't know, Fox kind of feels like the last guy that I'm going to sit here and worry about on this team. I think that there's a little bit of a, yeah, growing pain and finding his comfort, I guess, among these other guys. And I tend to kind of think that maybe Fox just needs to go out there and really do what he does and let the other guys worry about being comfortable around him. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's not, Fox is definitely not a player that I'm worried about when I look at the Sacramento roster. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm not I'm not too concerned right now. Maybe if we're 20, 25 games in and it's still looking like this, I'll <laughs> I'll start to feel something. But right now, I'm good. Totally, and um, you know, I think somebody that like we, we know what Fox is. There's there's a chance of him taking his game to another level, which obviously would be phenomenal. I, I think he's already an All Star caliber player. Um, fairly undeniably, I, I know the West obviously is ridiculous competition, but I think he could have made it last year and, and people really wouldn't have complained all too much with the numbers that he was putting up. And at very least you have that baseline, but then with Tyrese Halliburton, um, just 21 years old and going into his second year right now, um, I think at least I was personally keeping a close eye on him for this idea of what is his ceiling um, you know, is, is it an elite role player or is it a guy that is really able to create for himself? And is there, is there an all-star somewhere in Tyrese Halliburton's future? Um, which is still hard to tell, but I think that the way that he performs this season and, and early on is something that I'm going to pay more attention to and maybe put a little bit more stock into than Fox and obviously just four games. So uh, I'm, not going to jump to any sort of uh, rash conclusions here, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't been shooting well from three um, in, in these games. He's 28.6% from three on just three and a half attempts from downtown a game, which is notably decreased volume from just above five that he was attempting for a game last year. Um, to me, between the guys of, you know, there's talk I, I've seen here and there, I think Tim mentioned on the last episode and, um, definitely has good reason to of like Halliburton and Fox needing to figure out how to kind of optimize one another when they play alongside mm-hmm. each other. Um, I want to say it was close to half of Halliburton's minutes last year was spent with Fox and half without um, this whole, you know, Tyrese trying to take his game to another level um, while also being alongside Fox seems to almost have led to like a little bit of some, just just figuring out where he's comfortable. Like I, I almost feel like that relates more to Halliburton's start for the year than it does for Foxes for for me. Where where are you kind of at with Tyrese after four games here? Yeah, I agree. I think I think, yeah, he's still trying to figure out a bit on on where his niche is exactly in the offense. And I do think it is I, because De'Aaron is so good with the ball and and getting to the rim and getting in the paint. I and because he's so fast at it, I do think it is difficult to figure out how to play with that, right? Like where to be. Um and and I think actually what I would like to see more is um deer and using that on the secondary attack in the offense. Um I think there were a couple instances um in these past couple games where that happened and it just looked really good because whether it was Mitchell or Halliburton that kind of started the movement, you know, whether it was like a drive towards the middle and then, and then just a quick kick to, to De'Aaron and then he went to the rim. Um, it just looks so much smoother and it looked a lot more open for him because a lot of times I think when De'Aaron brings the ball up, the defense is ready. The help side is ready. You know, 
he's so fast he can get by the first guy but then the secondary and then, and then the tertiary help even meet him at the rim and you know he's not getting a lot of calls yet so it just to me I like it better when the defense is already shifting towards him he they're already moving he makes his move to the basket and and the seams are just more open um and the rim you know is more open so to me I would like to see Tyrese kind of like I said earlier uh make a leap more in, in the playmaking than in the scoring um, because I think that's what will optimize Fox more as well. Yeah, totally with you. I, I think that the initiation potential that he has and, and the way that he's able to manipulate defenses is definitely useful to the Sacramento roster. And yeah, outside of Fox, I mean, Halliburton is – in my mind, the clear guy that is the second best playmaker on this team. And and after that, there's a really significant drop off. Like Davion mm-hmm. shown some flashes, um, but I still, still think has a lot of work to do there before he approaches the level of, of Halliburton or Fox. Um, but yeah, I mean, Halliburton is a extremely smart player. I, I think that he's also another guy that while I'm, you know, maybe a little skeptical of this all-star ceiling that some people threw on last year. Um, I, I already was admittedly a little bit more skeptical than, than I think most people were. Um, and definitely still not out of the cards, still more than possible. It's, it's four games into the season. I could sound like an idiot by the end of the day that this episode's uh, released. So who knows? Mm-hmm. And, and I hope I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Halliburton and Fox are the two guys that have underperformed a little bit to start this year and and Barnes and Holmes on the other side are the ones that really stand out to me as the most notable positives um, and and consistent players somewhat as expected at least when it comes to Barnes and Holmes for what we've seen from them throughout their careers and specifically times in Sacramento's Um, yeah is there anything else Moran here that you want to touch on maybe any other players briefly or, or coaching or other teams around the league, anything you want to touch on before I move to our overtime question? Um, I think I just want to say uh, that I'm not panicking yet. And I hope no one else is either. It's we're four games in it's a long season. Um, So with that being said, I'm not panicking. I'm going to wait till, you know, 15, 20 games in to see, to reevaluate, but I am nervous, (laughs) which I think is kind of, the quintessential existence of being a Kings fan of just always being nervous, but um, I'm just, I'm nervous because this team feels much more like a puzzle than they did last year. Um, You know, just with the more pieces we have, like, like we were talking about earlier, the centers of uh, Thompson and Len and then um, three guard lineup, you know, is it going to work out? Is it not? Um, So I'm just nervous because there are so many different possibilities and I'm nervous about whether they're going to figure it out and, and figure out the right pieces to fit. Um, and then, you know, these past four games, the one thing I, I will say that stood out to me um, is that we have seen improvements primarily in the defense. And like we said, some individual jumps, but as a team, you know, they're still making a lot of the same mistakes, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, and that, that to me, you know, that makes me nervous as well, just because we've seen it so many times, you know, and it's with the same core group of people um, that are in the fourth quarter that we've had the past, you know, two, three seasons. So to not see them kind of improving in that area yet uh, makes me nervous just because, uh, you know, they're not a young, quote unquote, super team anymore. <laughs> they're, they've grown up and they need to start, you know, cleaning that stuff up. So all that being said, I'm nervous. I'm I'm uh, having a heart attack every night, but I'm moving forward. I'm keeping good thoughts, spreading good vibes. I hope that these next 78 are good for us. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um... Yeah, I, I weirdly feel better. Um, like, I, I feel kind of optimistic, at least like hopeful, I guess is a way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's literally just like I, I'm a guy that loves defense and just seeing different schemes like probably just makes me feel better, even if they haven't been the most successful. Um, but yeah, I mean, just being able to throw different things out there. Like I don't think the opponents know what's coming every single night. Like they know not to just like switch Halliburton onto good perimeter defenders. Um, yeah. I mean like little adjustments here and there, we kind of mentioned against Phoenix and, and things like that. But no, I mean, what you point out, like after game one against Portland, I think I was on the other end of the spectrum of, I think people were feeling really good about that one, but I leaned more towards um, what it, what it kind of sounds like you're falling into a little bit of, they were up 18 in that one and then barely mm-hmm. pulled away on a night when Harrison Barnes had a career high and Damian Lillard had what's going to probably be one of the worst games of his season. Um, you know, didn't make a single three when Barnes hit six in one quarter. Um, so yeah. And then that Phoenix game, they had a double digit lead that windled down really quickly late in that fourth quarter. So I think that um, it, it kind of seems like either aspect that you want to look at um, you, you can find. Um, and this next stretch, like specifically, I think this game against new Orleans, these two games against new Orleans, um, a team that they're kind of rubbing shoulders with a play in opportunity with and it seems like New Orleans is maybe a tier below kind of with San Antonio compared to uh, Sacramento being with Minnesota and in Memphis. Um, but I, I think that needs to come out and be proven. I mean, yeah, New Orleans doesn't have great initiators. And yeah, it, it's going to be telling as they play some of these worse teams, right? Because um, of the ones they played, I think Portland was the worst competition and and they had a mm-hmm. significant lead, but then ended up kind of blowing it. And what matters is they came away with the W. Um, but I think it's easy for me to point out uh, progress in losses when it comes against really good competition levels, or at least what I, I'm personally labeling as good competition. Um, and, and that's going to be very difficult to do when it's when it's lesser teams that they're playing. Like, And, and it takes right. a little while for them to kind of reach that point. Um, you know, the first like bad team is November 10th or November 12th, they play San Antonio. I'm sorry, 12th, they play Oklahoma City. On the 10th, they play San Antonio. Um, yeah, there's two New Orleans games mixed in before that, but then the other like low-level teams you're talking about are Dallas, Charlotte, Indiana, Like, still all teams that are probably the Kings are going to be um, underdogs against. So, yeah, I mean, I think the real challenge is going to come against teams that they're favored against. And if I'm not mistaken, I think New Orleans is the first team that at least when it comes to betting odds that they actually have um, a situation where they're the favorites. So it should be pretty telling. And hopefully I, I think it was Aki's posted something about uh Darren Fox averaging upwards of 30 against the Pelicans in three or four games last season. So oh, hope- that's right. I know, hopefully we get a little breakout from him and yeah, they got, they got a poor defense going on. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I definitely don't take like two and two for granted. Like this is, you know, this, I can't complain about that. My only thing is I don't like, you know, I don't mind losing to good teams. I just don't want to lose to the, or I'm sorry. I just want to lose to them, not lose to ourselves, you know? Totally. Um, and there were just a couple times there where they almost did that or they kind of did that. And against um, the Warriors where, you know, that was a winnable game, Yeah. but, but yeah. I'm absolutely going to steal that wording. Yeah, I think that's that's super well said. Um, and, and definitely a situation where at least one or two, uh, that's probably not enough, but we'll, we'll stick with one or two quarters. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that probably was the case for the Kings here. But um, overtime segment. Um, you know, Halloween is right around the corner. It uh, This is getting released late Thursday. I guess people are going to probably be hearing it on Friday. Halloween is on Sunday, the, the 31st here, and I uh, didn't realize it was going to be Halloween until I went on, like, the mailbag the other day um, <laughs> on King's Herald, and somebody asked what I was going to wear, and I have no clue, and I still don't know the answer. Uh, but the overtime theme question we're going to go with is Halloween-related. Um, what's the most underrated and overrated Halloween candy? Um, do you want to pick underrated or overrated to start with, Moran? Uh, sure, we could do underrated. Um, so 
we you put put this in the Slack prior to us doing this, and I was shocked to see the Snickers slander in there. Um, <laughs> so because when I saw underrated, I thought, well, I love Snickers, but to me, that's like a very popular one. So it's not really underrated because everybody loves Snickers. And then I saw all these hooligans in the Slack just slandering it. Um, so I guess that could be considered one, but. I won't take the easy way out. So I ended up saying that Smarties are underrated. Smarties, okay. All they are, those just, you know, those little round little pellets of sugar, but they're just so like fun to eat. And, you know, if you're just like watching Netflix and you just got like a roll of Smarties, it's just a perfect little treat in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, Smarties are great. Um, apparently I'm a hooligan though, because my overrated is uh, is definitely Snickers. Brendan, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I'm chocolate is how. Is Please cho- give me, give me cho- the explanation. It's just the peanuts. Like, there's no need for peanuts in my candy. Like, the peanuts I, bring the salty to balance out the sweet of the chocolate. Yeah, I just and I it adds know. like a texture and it makes it interesting. Mm. You know, I mean, I don't without like- it. It's just, mm, it's just kind of. Oh, it's all like soft. It's but the, the peanuts give you a little like, ooh, there's some crunch in here. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I can't I can't get behind you on this one. I, okay, I, okay. I also don't eat that much candy or like sugar in the first place and definitely not chocolate. Um, so I, I guess like when I do, I don't know how much I'm looking for a balance. I'm like, it's my random moment of having a sweet tooth and I'm like, just give me all the sugar. People were talking crap about Milky Ways in the slack and Mm -hmm. i'm not about it the way you said that it makes me sound like you're not a milky way fan milky ways are kind of in the middle for me i could go either way i see i see the uh like why people like them a lot but it's kind of the same thing as like there's no like nuts in it so it's it's just like soft and it's Mm -hmm. like a lot like just gooey to me and so i don't know it's kind of whatever for me yeah um, I'll, I'll read a little bit of the King's Hero guys as I run into them in the Slack here and there. Yeah, Greg's overrated was Milky Way. Um, underrated, he said not the best candy, but underrated was Tootsie Rolls. I don't, I, I can't really get behind Tootsie Rolls. Um, Tootsie Rolls are gross. Yeah, yeah. There's it's like, just like they, a, have, they have like flavored ones that like, but like, you know, that sounds even worse. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I, I don't know if I can sit here and defend flavored Tootsie Rolls. I think I remember going trick-or-treating and getting a ton of Tootsie Rolls, and I would immediately throw them in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what am I supposed to do with these? I'm not going to eat these. They look Fair like enough. poop. Fair enough. My, <laughs> my underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was hilarious that Bryant said the same thing because – it's a joke that Brian and I have a lot of the same tastes when it comes to basketball and just a lot of things in general. And apparently uh, Halloween candy, I went with candy corn. Um, I don't, I don't like love candy corn, mm-hmm. but it's like it. candy corn gets a really bad rep. Like I feel like people are just, it's become like a meme at this point that candy corn is horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, I don't know how to describe, I've never been good at describing like tastes and flavors. I'm very basic and it's just like, I like things or I don't, which is, yeah, like I said, very basic of me. Um, So I guess my like crappy description of candy corn is that like, I recognize that it almost like tastes like plastic in a way, but I enjoy (laughs) it. So I'm just going to like move, move forward with it and just eat my candy corn, my, my plastic in silence. So. No, I respect that. I I could see it. I I agree. Like, it's not as bad as I feel like the trend has made it. Yeah. Everybody's like been bagging on candy corn for years, but it's it's just it's not that terrible. I would eat that over Tootsie Rolls any day. Yeah, we're just sticking up for the little guy here over Tootsie Tootsie yeah. Rolls for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, to go through another one in the Slack here, Tony Zipteris, overrated Snickers. You're getting outnumbered here. He said might be the worst mainstream candy. Underrated Butterfinger. <laughs> I do really like Butterfinger. That is a solid. I one. like Butterfinger too. I didn't. I didn't think it would be like. I thought everybody liked Butterfinger, so that's why I didn't pick that one. That's fine by me. That's fine by me. Yeah. Leave it to Tim to bring up Almond Joy. 
He said yeah. he said they're the worst, but I don't even think they needed to be in the conversation. Yeah, that's kind of a given. I don't think we heard your underrated though. My underrated was Smarties, and so oh, my right. overrated is Baby Ruth. I don't know Baby if Ruth. if that's a popular one, but to me, it's pointless because it's like chocolate on the outside. It's like a bar, right? And then it's like the marshmallow chocolate fluff in the middle, but it's just like air. It's it's like so light. It feels like you're eating nothing. Mm. Uh, to me, it just I don't I don't get it. Oh, if people I really like it, it then I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it, I had to look it if up you're too a baby because Ruth I could, supporter. Like, then yeah, I mean. Yeah, this is the wrong <laughs> podcast, I guess. Yeah, it just, it does nothing for me. It makes me feel like I'm wasting my time. And I'm oh, not, yeah. I don't like that. No, yeah, fair enough. Um, no, yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I can't say that I'm over here eating Baby Ruth, although I, I'm apparently eating candy corn. By the way, my other one, but <laughs> I like just didn't include because I don't think this is Halloween candy. But when I looked up like top Halloween candies, it was in some weird top 10. Um, mm-hmm. hot tamales is like my favorite candy. Ever. Like I just, <laughs> I grew up loving hot tamales. Um, and yeah, they seem very polarizing, I guess. Clearly by Yeah, I think that is a polarizing one. Cause the spice throws me off. Oh, okay. I can't do like a lot of like this, like this really strong cinnamon stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't handle it. So maybe that's on me. I'll take the blame. Yeah, that that's fine. I'll, I'll live with that. But. I will say at the mention of candy corn, have you heard of the um, like the Thanksgiving flavored bag that that I think it's the same company that makes I don't know what they're called, but um, is it Brock's? Maybe. Oh God, I don't know. I'm not. Anyways, that, yeah, they make like out. a Thanksgiving. <laughs> they make a Thanksgiving dinner flavored one. So there's like pieces that taste like I think like there's a coffee and a turkey and a maybe like a cranberry sauce. And I don't know. I need, I'm going to need you to to find that, try it, and give us a review in the next KP pod. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll make this happen. Um, yeah, I didn't yeah. even know they had flavored candy corns. Yeah, I thought yeah. they just I've only heard about it. I haven't tried it. But I'm assuming it's probably an experience. So I'd like to... I'd like for you to be the one to try it and tell uh, us. Uh, great. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the test bunny. Sure. Uh, to go through, uh, yeah, Bryant said underrated, definitely candy corn, uh, which is, has always been and will always be a delightful treat. And then he says the most overrated, uh, I don't know, Kit Kats are kind of boring compared to other chocolates. Mm, I, think I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think Kit Kats are okay. I also, I, I don't like chocolate that much, um, but no, that's a fine one by me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to make sure we're gonna, I'm going to get some shit from somebody in King's Herald for, for getting one of their takes. Will says he likes <laughs> Three Musketeers and Milky Ways. Um, I can't remember what a Three Musketeers looks like, but I do remember thinking oh, they're good. Maybe I'm confusing Three Musketeers with Baby Ruth. Because now that you say that, when you say Three Musketeers, that makes me think of the gross uh like chocolate air that i've eaten before it it does look like chocolate air for sure okay maybe (laughs) maybe i totally slandered baby ruth for no no good reason so i apologize i think i need to change my answer to three musketeers (laughs) yeah yeah we're gonna have to let will know yeah (laughs) yeah no, I remember thinking these are okay, but I can't say I've I've had one for a while. So, um, but yeah, anybody listening, let us know um, what sort of Halloween candies are overrated, underrated. Which ones that we're slandering for no good reason? Uh, just got one response: overrated. This is second take twenty on Twitter. Overrated Skittles, underrated sour patch watermelons. Both of those are phenomenal. I'm offended. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, someone said Heath bar, by the way, I, I that one, I, I, yeah, that answer scares me a little bit. A Heath bar. That one's good. A Heath bar. I think, I think I like that one. That's got like the toffee in the middle. So it's got a little crunch to it, which is important to me, as you know. 
I can tell. Yeah, I guess this is candy. It looks like a protein bar at first. I've had to Google like all of these. So I do not eat yeah. candy. <laughs> this looks like it could be okay. Yeah, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. That's also from, uh, oh man, I want to get this right. Um, that's from Ryan Hobbs who throws us a bunch of overtime questions too. So I uh, appreciate you, Ryan. I don't mean to crap on you. It's just, I don't know about Heath bars, my guy. So, um, but yes, there's going to be plenty of great work going on up on the King's Herald from myself, Moran, and all the other great guys and girls on that site as the Kings continue their season here and get into a little bit easier stretch of schedule. So definitely check out that site and take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Schools podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you hear from us again in the next couple of days. Yeah.